It is Tuesday, April the 18th, 2023. Welcome in everybody to episode 85 of Toe in the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn. It is pitching talk every single week with the five-time World Series champ and the former Young Award winner, David Cohn, the ace researcher, James Smythe, and myself, Justin Shackle, producer, Dan Wark, with us as well. Guys, Shohei versus Judge. They are calling it Otani Judge Week all over and uh, the hype kind of has slapped me in the face. It's getting real. Uh, you know, the, the series begins tonight in the Bronx, and there is a lot of promotion going on, rightfully so. It is skyrocketed the last couple of days, though. Are you ready for Shohei and Judge Week? I think I, I'm absolutely ready. Love these opportunities to see the best in the game go at it. Obviously, a little disappointed we don't get to see Shohei Otani pitch in Yankee Stadium again. But nonetheless, uh, him in the lineup, him and Judge, two faces of the game going on right now. Absolutely. And then Yankee Stadium with Shohei Otani's left-handed bat, I think, well, you know, it'd be interesting. I'd love to see him take batting practice on the field, which he doesn't do a lot of, but do, he did it in the WBC and was hitting him off the scoreboard in Miami. I'd like to see how far he'd hit the ball in Yankee Stadium in batting practice. Can't wait. The Angels series is always one that I circle when the schedule comes out for the next year. And, you know, getting ready in the booth 10 years of this, I always look forward to the Angels series because of Mike Trout. Now it's thrown into overdrive because of Trout and Otani making their one visit to Yankee Stadium. Hey, David, why do you think a player like Otani may not prefer to take batting practice on the field? He's very much on his own program, both with regards to pitching, his pitching program and the type of uh, the preparation that he has and certainly the hitting hitting too. a lot of hitters do we've seen Aaron judge do that in recent years where they prefer to hit off of the pitching machine sometimes the uh, the, the pitching machines can be calibrated up to give you high velocity training off of the pitching machines nowadays there's uh more sophisticated pitching machines that actually mimic the release point of the actual uh uh, pitcher that particular day there, there's a company uh, based out of toronto actually that makes these new machines that actually it's almost like a golf simulator where you have the actual pitcher and his release point and his stuff, spin rate, vertical, horizontal movement. It's fantastic. These new fangled pitching machines that can actually give you the exact replica of the pitcher you're facing that night. Velocity, movement, actual release point window. It is a remarkable machine. The word is from the WBC, like you said, he was hitting some tank jobs, taking batting practice during that tournament. So, yeah, it would be a, a sight to see in any ballpark, but it would be really cool to see him take BP at Yankee Stadium. Uh, he is an ace on the mound. Aces in the news this week for a variety of reasons. Extensions, some injuries, unfortunately. Some aces jumping out of the gate to a hot start. Some not so hot. So we'll talk all about that. We'll talk about the Giancarlo Stanton injury, really look ahead to the the downfall from that injury and what could be next with the Yankees as Giancarlo Stanton's anticipated a miss uh, about a month and change or so with a hamstring strain. But let's start it off like we do every single week here on Tone the Slab. It is the opener. David, what do you have for us? Well, I think it's just good to highlight early in the season here, uh, the youth movement across the board. You know, the Yankee fans know about Anthony Volpe and the Yankees didn't have to call him up, but they did because they felt like he earned it. He was the best choice for them out of spring training. It was a meritocracy. And and certainly uh, when you looked in for the Cardinals, uh, Jordan Walker's kind of in that same boat. They didn't have to call him up. They could have manipulated his service time and got him more seasoning in the minor leagues. And, you know, the recent example was with the Angels. Zach Neto 
a young shortstop that was drafted last year, James. Uh, he's got 43 games or whatever. He's got a minor league uh, experience. Uh, just got called up to the Angels. So I, I definitely am seeing a trend with organizations more prone to go ahead and pull, pull the plug. Let's call up our best players, these minor league guys, whether or not uh, the timing says so in years past or the service manipulation issue seems to be on the run a little bit so far this year. Well, the Neto call-up was a real surprise, even for Zach. He said he was thinking, you know, maybe in, in mid, midway of the year, September call-up, something like that. Again, he was only drafted last summer, and he's already in the bigs, coming straight out of double-A with only 44 minor league games under his belt. He had a good spring training. He had 12 hits and three homers in his first seven games at double-A this year. Guys, with the Angels, there's always a lot more pressure, Trout, Otani. Can they finally break the playoff drought and get over the hump? If guys are on the hot seat, manager, front office, they just saying, hey, if we're going to go down, we got to pull out every card. So let's we might as well call up Neto now. Angels off to a, an eight and eight start mixed bag. They had a tough series in Boston wrapped around with a Patriots day up at Fenway Park. But, yeah, they they entered the Bronx here at an even 500 and it, the, the GM's trying, obviously, he's been making moves. The results haven't been there. Phil Nevin, I don't think, has a a, a long, uh, long-term long contract. You know, I know he had a little bit of security, but yeah, everything, it feels like the entire organization's always on eggshells, particularly here with what the next move will be with Shohei Otani. You know, is he going to be traded? Is he going to walk away in free agency? It feels like this is just like a, a, a one big giant season of auditioning for an Angels team that already has the crown jewel in the majors. So uh, interesting out of the gates. But yeah, Neto's just another young face that is going to be uh, be in the Bronx front and center here. So we'll see see what happens as he uh, he made his debut over the weekend. And we're uh, we're, we're looking for some uh, some good stuff from, from Neto. Again, only drafted last year. That's you don't see that too often. So take it in and uh, and enjoy what you see as a fan. Um, all right, so the Angels in the Bronx, Yankees aren't going to be facing Otani. Uh, the Angels behind the Texas Rangers in the AL West, and we saw the Sunday night matchup in Texas. Angels in range, I mean, Rangers and in- Astros. And David, you and Carl Ravitch and Eduardo Perez had the pleasure of talking with Astros catcher Martin Maldonado in real time. He was mic'd up. What was the coolest thing you learned from Martin during that entire game? I, I just think it's real time information on the ground, boots on the ground, as they say. You know, when we saw the All Star game last year and we saw that interaction between Nestor Cortez and, and, and Trevino, I thought that was the best thing I'd seen in a long time. I think a lot of the current players lit up when they saw that interaction between pitcher and catcher, live mic during a during an All Star game. I I don't know what the future holds. I would love to see communication across the field i'd love to see all these guys wired up where the center fielder could talk to the right fielder or the left fielder and during in between pitches keep each other on their toes everybody connected kind of like a you know a nascar race where you're talking to the the, the pit crew or whoever you're talking to the to, to your crew manager uh i i kind of hope it goes that way that direction in the future where everybody can talk to each other and and uh, and be mic'd up and we could tune into that at, at times maldonado was fantastic uh, he was so into it. He was the one who actually re- requested uh, to do this. He wanted to be the first catcher to do it. He wants to teach other young catchers. I think those of you who saw us do it last year with Adam Wainwright and his warm up before the game, 
I, I think that was enlightening for a lot of people, not only the current players, but some of the young pitchers uh, that are aspiring to be either college or professional pitchers. So, yeah, I think more of this is, is good. It just uh, anything you can get a behind the scenes look, sort of a backstage pass. This is, <clears throat> excuse me, this is, this, this is how it's done. These are how the guys prepare. This is how professional players prepare for a game. This is what they're thinking. This is what it looks like. I think more of this is better. The players are, are getting more and more uh, open to it as opposed to, you know what, what if I mess up during the game? What if I boot one? What if I make an error because I'm mic'd up? I think there's always going to be a little bit of that fear. But to me, the, the pluses far outweigh the minuses. It helps grow the game. It helps build your brand. You know, we're trying to promote the players. We've been talking about this for years and years and years. So th this is a great opportunity to do it. I also think it's a cool way to add something special to a national TV game, you know, have a little highlight to separate it from the, the day in day out regular games. So I think it's a cool feature. Um, Maldonado, I loved how he did highlight that it was, he was thinking of, you know, high school and college pitchers or catchers to show like, Hey, this is how it's done in the big leagues. This is a little peek behind the curtain. So it's a, it's a fun feature. I love that someone like Martin Maldonado gets that James, like he, he gets it. He he's understanding like what the purpose is behind all of it. So you hope that more players follow. And I may have missed it, James. Did they have any of Martin on, on the K-Rod telecast? Uh, we did. We had, uh, we kind of just had Michael and Alex lay out and we had the, the mic'd up part of, uh, of, of Martin uh, with you guys in, in that inning. So um, I don't know if you remember there was watching a, on both. Yeah. There was a double that was hit off the top of the wall in the middle of that inning. And it was almost a home run. It bounced back in. It was a double. You could hear Martin Maldonado kind of react in real time to it. And then I asked him a quick question. I said, uh, what do you do when Framber Valdez shakes you off? How do you deal with pitchers who shake you off, you know, and who's leading, who's leading the dance? And he said, yeah, he shook me off right there <laughs> on that particular pitch. So you talk about real time on the ground. He learned something very quick there. He didn't throw the pitch. I wanted him to throw And Look, it, it banged off the wall. So I thought, you know, as an ex pitcher to me, that just that rang a bell for me. That was, it's a classic, uh, you know, should have followed my lead. Should have, you know, I threw down, I put down the right fingers and you shook me off. And that's classic banter back and forth between pitcher and catcher. And that, you know, that, that's right in my wheelhouse. I loved it. Getting that banter in real time is sensational. And I am all for learning more about pitch sequencing in real time. The game situation flowing to the viewer in real time. You cannot beat that. Um, all right, guys. Last night, there were a pair of, Top of the rotation starters who both left their respective starts, Jacob DeGrom and Corbin Burns. They both left with what appeared to be minor injuries. DeGrom had wrist soreness and was removed for precaution, according to the Rangers. Burns had a pectoral issue. Uh, which pitcher are you holding your breath with more? And why is it not Jacob DeGrom? Well, if it, if it really is a wrist issue, then I, th that's good news for Jacob DeGrom and the fact that he knows his body and can they're trying to get to know him in Texas too as well, that they're going to be overly protective uh, as long as it's not an elbow issue. Obviously, if it's truly a wrist issue, then that's manageable and that's okay. You know, let's, let's just call it what it is there. He, you know, that's not, shouldn't be a long-term problem. Uh, a pectoral issue that's a little different, you know, with, with Corbett Burns. That, that's a little more worrisome to me. 
that could take a little longer to, uh, to, to kind of work that one through in terms of how long that's going to take him or if that's going to lead to more problems down the road. So first blush, worried about Corbin Burns a little bit more. If it's Jacob DeGrom and just his wrist, if it truly is just a wrist issue, then that's, that's something that they can manage. I think the biggest cause for concern is DeGrom, just because it's DeGrom. When you see him throw four hitless innings on Monday and then he leaves the game, you go, oh, here we go again. So that's always going to be hanging over his head until he can actually string together you know, a bunch of starts in a row or have a fully healthy season again. Uh, it seems like the Brewers dodged a bullet with Corbin Burns. Uh, Craig Council was seemed pretty optimistic that they had avoided something more serious. And uh, he said that Burns might even be able to make his next scheduled start. So we'll see about that on Sunday against the Red Sox. Maybe they push him back. We'll keep an eye on that. But it seems like these are relatively minor uh, issues for these two great aces. Yeah, all tongue in cheek when I asked that that question at, at the end, the, the end part. But yeah, for the same reasons, James, because of the history with Jacob DeGrom, I'm, you know, I'm definitely going to be paying attention. Uh, I don't want to say more to that, but I have more faith, I think, in in Burns making his next start if we're going to put it in in that perspective Burns said he thought it was very minor he said he thought it, it could have gotten worse if he kept pitching but I could see why the pectoral would be more worrisome to a, a former pitcher like David uh, you, you gotta have to wait and see what, what comes up in the next couple of days how he feels and what it's going to be like if there's any soreness lingering the day after the start two days after the start and and you go from there so keep an eye on any updates with those two pitchers. Fans, more Toe on the Slab is coming up, but also coming up, Mother's Day. And I'll admit, I'm that son who does wait till the last minute to find that perfect gift for mom, but I've already started doing some research here with Lightbox. And this is where I'm going to be going this year. This is where you should be going to. Let Lightbox lab-grown diamonds do all the work for you this year. Lightbox makes lab-grown diamonds that you'll love with pricing that you will understand whether it's sparkly studs, brilliant necklaces, some shiny bracelets, these gems will make mom's jaw drop. So whether it is for your mother or for your spouse, you get her a stunning stone from Lightbox Lab Grown Diamonds. It is a guaranteed win. Skip the socks this year. Instead, become the MVP of Mother's Day. Stand out with a gift that she's never going to forget. Use promo code THESLAB10. That's T-H-E-S-L-A-B, the number 10, for 10% off your purchase. Shop Lightbox Lab-Grown Diamonds and use the code THESLAB10 for 10% off your purchase and make Mother's Day a win. There was a financial update with two pitchers in particular over the last week. Uh, Logan Webb and Pablo Lopez both received extensions this past week. I think we said in the offseason, you know, which... We were comparing Webb and I think it was Max Freed, like who could get an extension first? Well, uh, Logan Webb won that, obviously. Webb, five years, 90 million. Lopez with the Twins, four years, 73 and a half million. Which extension do you both think is a better investment? I like both of them, tell you the truth. I mean, that's sort of a pick them, right? Um, both pitchers are, are great fits for their teams. Uh, just if I had to pick one, I would say Logan Webb because he looks like he's taking the next step. He's learned how to miss bats now. He's added the strikeout, the swing and miss to his game this year. We saw it at Yankee Stadium on opening day. 
his combination of movement and slider and changeup are getting better and better. It looks like he's figuring it out. There's, there's, there's that, that light bulb effect that, that young pitchers go through when they figure things out about, Hey, this is how I'm going to go about it. Here's my sequencing. Here's the pitches I need to use when I need a strikeout. Now I know how to get it more. He, he just knows how to go for the jugular a little bit better. So if I had to say probably Logan Webb, although Pablo Lopez looks like a little bit of a different pitcher too. He's highly intelligent, came up with a sweeper slider, kind of went back to the, to the drawing board and pitch design has come up with a kind of a little bit of a new look. He looked really good. That two seamer, four seam cutter, sweeping slider combination that he has is it looks, looks spot on right now. So both of those contracts look good to me. Good for the organizations to recognize it, lock them up. Uh, I'll take either one of those guys right now on my team. Agreed. I'm going to go Lopez just because I think his stuff plays up a little more. He's a little bit more of a bat misser. I'm impressed that Webb has ticked up the strikeout rate in his first four games. I'm not alarmed by him allowing four, 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 four in each of his first four games uh, for runs. The strikeout rate for Webb, he was around league average uh, in strikeout rate in his last two seasons. As great as he was, more of a pitch to contact guy. That is up from 23% to 31% so far in its first few games. So that's something to keep an eye on with Webb. Lopez, the addition of the sweeper and his velocity jumping up is a big feather in his cap. And I think the Twins, they buy out three free agent years. The Giants buy out two free agent years. I'm going to lean Lopez there, although I do like both deals very much. And one thing that jumped out to me, guys, is with the Giants. This is the only money they have committed past 2025. So as they retool the franchise, they're a big market team. They're kind of, uh, Coney, you've used this term for, for a sleeping giant. You know, can they jump in for Otani this, this winter? They, they do not have a lot of committed money beyond this year, beyond 2024, beyond 2025. So locking in Webb for ages 27 to 31 and say, okay, he's going to anchor our rotation. I, I like this for both teams and for the Giants. I like both deals. I think it's great. Both players get paid. They get rewarded uh, because it's an investment, so to speak. You know, which team I think factors in as as the winner here. I think that's the decision you kind of have to make. So I'll go with the Twins because it is the team making the investment. Shorter years, less money. So that's, you know, on surface, the safe bet. But also, even after this deal, the Twins have three other pieces to their starting rotation that are set to hit free agency. So they are able to secure Lopez long-term, who I was really impressed with in his last start over the weekend. So they have Lopez with Joe Ryan at the top. The Giants at least have depth for the immediate future. Anthony DiSclefani, Ross Tripling, Sean Manier, they're all there after this season. Uh, Alex Cobb has a team option. And again, like James said, not too much money invested, but they have a lot of pitchers under contract. So the giants don't have to make too many decisions here, but it's nice to see them reward their number one pitcher with an extension. But yeah, can you imagine the giants after getting shut out with some big name free agents this off season, they're the ones that are able to land Otani. That'd be something else. They'll be in, they'll be in the market guaranteed. We saw last year, they were in the market for Aaron judge. It's a, it's a great franchise and they have a great fan base and a great base and a great place to play a great venue. One of the best. So yeah, they're they're always going to be in it. Uh, whether it's just about sort of uh, you know selling, it's a sales job, right? Selling somebody to to go there. Yeah. All right, we have two aces who 
are, I don't want to say starting and going in different directions at the start of the season, but one uh, is raising your eyebrows for all the right reasons. And another may be not sounding alarms. Again, you don't want to get too carried away, but this is something that we haven't seen from the reigning NL Cy Young Award winner, Sandy Alcantara, in a couple of years. But the other pitcher we're talking about is Garrett Cole. 4-0, he has an ERA under one. He just had a complete game shutout. I want to know, guys, what is right with Garrett Cole? And what is wrong with Sandy Alcantara right now? Well, let's start with the good. Good news, bad news, right? The good news is Garrett Cole's keeping the ball in the ballpark. And that's one thing. And we thought, you know, we talked about this, and James and I have talked about this over the last several years, about, you know, the random randomness of stats, you know, and, and how, you know, which ones are more predictive than others strikeout rates and walk rates for both hitters and pitchers tend to stabilize and give you more predictive value moving forward. That's why we, we look at those first and foremost, but home run rate home run per fly ball can have a little bit of random randomness baked into the cake. And I, I really thought last year, Eric Cole, I was a little bit unlucky at times to have such a high rate of fly balls, leaving the ballpark last year, abnormally high. We, I thought there was a chance that would bounce back this year. Uh, he's going to eventually give up a home run. I don't think he's given up one yet. So th- there you go right there out of the gates. Uh, the, already the randomness has swung back already to the other side. Uh, but yeah, he's he's definitely locating his fastball better. And to me, it's a knack. These, these, these are hard things to sort of quantify. You can't point to a number or an ERA or, or a FIP or something, some sort of statistic that points this out. But there's a knack that when he needs to sort of paint a fastball to get it in a good location, he can. Okay, I need to throw my fastball here. I need to get a strike. It's in the middle counts. Maybe it's 1-0, 2-1. I don't have to trick them. I still throw upper 90s. Let me hit a lane, sort of like a bowling alley. Let me hit the outside corner here. He's been able to do that. He's been able to paint when he needs to. He's been able to use his fastball up in the zone, which we know is a key for him because of that riding action and the high velocity that he has. But to me, it's that knack. It's sort of that, you know what? I need to make a pitch here. And that's what I thought a lot of times when I was on the mound. Hey, this is a spot I really need to make a pitch, whether it's a backdoor slider or find a location. It looks like Garrett Cole is doing that exceptionally well this year. Conversely, Sandy Alcantara is not doing that so well. It looks like, you know, his fastball and his changeup have gotten a little close to each other in terms of velocity, not enough separation so far. And he had a little bit of a Murphy's Law start against the Phillies, too, when he got blown out and gave up, I think, nine earned runs. Uh, That's one maybe at the end of the year you might just throw that one out. You know, you have those blow-up starts every now and then in the course of a year or certainly every couple of years. Maybe he was just due for one of those outlier blow up games. And, and that's why his numbers are so skewed so far this year. Cole, everything clicking. I've been particularly impressed by the breaking stuff. The, the slider is sharp, the knuckle curve dropping in and the tunneling, especially in that Minnesota game on point as well as, as ever uh, seeing some of the overlays uh, online, you know, pitching ninja or MLB network did a feature on it where you see the, the heaters coming in, and then all of a sudden, boom, they split, and he's getting swings and misses on all of his pitches, but he's everything you want in an ace right now. Sandy, I'm not too concerned about. I was uh, struck by just going through his game log uh, from last year, and he had some of these you know little random blow-up games, five, six runs a piece, and I wonder, is he more susceptible to a game like that because – he doesn't get as many strikeouts 
as some of the other elite elite pitchers in the game. It's a great point. I was looking. Yeah, yeah. Swing, I, swing and miss. Yeah, I mean, he he's a guy who gives up a, a fair amount of hits in each start as well, too. And James, I was going back to his game log as well. There were some of those blips, but I I was looking for like how many uh I don't I guess you could call them subpar outings we saw back to back, and it was really tough to find those over the last two years. There was a two start stretch last September that you know he got lit up for for six runs in five innings. He came back, he gave up five runs. Uh, on eight hits the next time out, only three were earned. But again, the, the Marlins went on to win that game. So I was I was kind of looking at like, um, you know, getting hit hard, giving up a lot of runs and the Marlins losing. You have to go all the way back to the beginning of 2019 to find two consecutive starts that kind of fall under those two categories. But he he's a pitcher. That, I mean, that that Philly start, David, uh, you know, you, you put it perfectly just the way you know, that was bound to happen at some point. It happens to everybody, but he, he gives up a fair amount of hits and a lot of the damage does happen on home runs. With, yeah, yeah uh, it's, it's true. He's a WBC guy too, and had high yeah. intensity innings in spring this year. And I remember that a couple of those starts were just as high as intensity as they can get when he was pitching, pitching for his country. And, and I think against Puerto Rico or against Venezuela, I've a couple of starts he had in there, even though there's not a lot of innings, those were really high intensity uh, workouts in, in the middle of March for him. So is that something that you look at? Uh, I can't point to and say that's definitively a reason, but you know, it's, some, it's something you look for. And that, you know, maybe there's a residual effect from him kicking it up a gear a little early in spring training this year. Now, you know, obviously it's a red flag. One of the best pitchers in baseball, you know, has back-to-back clunkers like this. However, the start directly before these two, he had a three-hit shutout on 100 pitches, and it was maybe the best start in the major league so far this season until Garrett Cole on Sunday. So maybe it's just a blip. I think it'll take another start or two to see, all right, was that just a bump in the road, or is this something to, to really be concerned about moving forward? Yeah, so far, Sandy and Garrett, the only two pitchers with complete game uh, shutouts this season in, in, and both came against the twins. Uh, David, what you were talking about with Garrett Cole in terms of just, you know, making the pitch, making uh, maybe a fat, you know, executing a fastball when he really needed it. Uh, how, how real is the narrative? Like, Oh, the pitch clock could be helping Garrett Cole, maybe not think as much and just make the pitch. Cause we've I love heard that. that. Yes. Okay. It's a great point, Jack, in a, an undervalued point. Absolutely. Uh, you just you trust your stuff, trust your instinct. Don't overthink things. There's a lot to be said for that. Coming, I mean, you know, and what James said too, in terms of his breaking stuff is so much crisper, better this year. It is. If you remember last year and he came out of spring training, kind of uh, the nutty professor, I've got a new cutter to add to my already four pitch mix, uh, you know, and the other pitchers on the staff were kind of following suit. Eric Cole doesn't need a cutter. Eric Cole's a four pitch pitcher. All four pitches are excellent. Uh, sometimes when you tinker and you try to do too much, it can affect your other pitches. So yes, to, to James's point, his slider, the shape, the pitch design on his slider and his knuckle curve so much better this year. Um, when you eliminate the cutter, you, you get more time to work on those two pitches on the side. You're concentrating on throwing more of those two pitches in the game and you get better command. The more you use it, the better you get, the more confidence you have in it, the less time you have to think because of the pitch timer. Yeah. It all goes together. All these variables play into it. 
I can't say for sure that his cutter messed up his slider last year, but I know speaking from personal experience that it did for me when I tried to tinker with a, a cutter that sometimes it, it bled, it sort of bleeds the grips, the release points kind of bleed into each other. And then both pitches get compromised. You end up with two mediocre pitches rather than one really good pitch. Derek Cole's slider is really good. He doesn't really need a cutter. His slider and his knuckle curve are good enough. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, there was a scene at Yankee Stadium in that Yankees twin series over the weekend. It was interesting because last couple of years, we know the drill. If you're a pitcher, you're walking off the mound. Odds are your hands are going to be checked for foreign substance by the umpire and Yankees pitcher Domingo Herman on Saturday had a sick sticky substance on his hand. The umpire noticed it. And I guess essentially he only noticed it because Herman was not using the rosin bag on the mound. Turns out the substance was rosin, but Herman likes to apply it in the dugout before he heads onto the field. And the umpire told Herman. Uh, at the end of the top of the third. Hey, go wash your hands. That's a little too much. And I guess Herman didn't wash them good enough uh, because when he came back out, the ump checked his hand again, pretty much said, hey, you have to do better than that. There was a, you know, a 60-second part of that conversation that Herman said that he thought he might be thrown out there, uh, that they allowed Herman to keep pitching. Now, we know rosin's an approved substance. So I guess my question in all this is how much is too much of an approved substance and how can the umpire make that determination? That's a great point. I don't know. I mean, it's, I've always seen pitchers have their own little concoction, their own rosin bag in, in their lockers or certainly on the bench, or sometimes you just go up to the on-deck circle. I've seen starting pitchers go up to the on-deck circle and kind of use the rosin bag that the hitters use before they go to the mound in between innings. So certainly something that's not new. Um, how do they determine what the substance is that they knew it was rosin or that not something else that that's a little bit of a mystery in and of itself. Uh, the fact that he was asked to go wash his hands and come back kind of, and not do it well enough, kind of reminds you of your mom back in the day. Right. I mean, like, you can't help but laugh about that one. Uh, we've Did all you been use there soap? Before. Let me smell your hands. Is there soap? <laughs> go brush yeah. your teeth, go brush your teeth. <laughs> you didn't brush them long enough, you know? So yeah, it was kind of comical. It wasn't comical to Rocco Baldelli, who thought, wait, wait a minute, he didn't conform. He didn't adhere to the what he was asked to do. So obviously something nefarious is going on. He should have been called thrown out of the game. So yeah, I mean, it, it lends itself to all sorts of, of areas of concern that we just don't know for sure, unless you were down there and, under, and understood exactly what he was told by the umpire, why he didn't conform, or can he use his rosin bag on his own in the dugout? Does he need to stick to just using the one on the mound? I mean, there's all sorts of questions that are brought up by this, this scenario that uh, I don't, I'm not sure we can answer right now. There are uh, in the rules uh, I see here, rule 602 D comment. Uh, it, it talks about how the, the pitcher is allowed to use rosin. Uh, you can um, put it on your hands, but you can't put it on, on your glove. There, there are things around that. Um, and it's, it's still a, a bit of a mystery because we don't even really know all the ins and outs of exactly what went on uh, over the course of a couple endings on Saturday. 
Yeah, Aaron Boone was asked why Herman would have his own rosin bag in a dugout, and he he couldn't answer. He goes, honestly, I don't know. You know, it's something that Herman, I guess, has to answer for himself. But David, have you come across any guys who had a rosin bag that they use in the dugout before they took the field? Yeah, we're in their locker before the games. Absolutely. Uh, getting the right mix over, you know, for years, you know, it, first and foremost, rosin is very sticky. There's a rock rosin and there's a powder rosin. The rock rod depends on the weather. If it's cold out or if you're hot, one kind of takes some of the moisture away. If it's a really hot day, the powder's a little better for really hot days when you're you're sweating a lot. The rock rosin's a little stickier, so that's better for cooler weather when you're really having trouble feeling the ball. So, yeah, absolutely. I've seen pitchers in their lockers have their own concoction. We've heard for years, too, pitchers using uh, kind of put suntan oil on their arms. And the, the combination of the, the, the suntan oil and sweat Combined with the rosin helps kick in the rosin a little bit more, make it a little more tacky. So this has been going on forever. Uh, Everybody's got their own little mix, their own little recipe. As I said before, I used to kind of swing by the on deck circle on my way to the mound some, some days, whether it was cold or not, and pick up the rosin bag and kind of just get a little feel from the rosin bag the hitters use. And sometimes there would be a little pine tar on that rosin bag from the hitters too, you know? So, you know, you, you could actually just get a little tackiness from that. So they, yeah, I mean, I did that, you know, for years as a pitcher and yes, I have seen a lot of pitchers that have their own rosin bag, maybe not in the dugout, but yeah, they certainly in their locker or somewhere close by. Some tricks to the trade right there. They're, they're putting up the, uh, the red flags though, in this day and age with everyone being checked yeah. after they come off the mound. Yeah. Um, Guys, time to talk about the Yankees a little bit more in depth. Uh, this past week, people were anticipating something happening like this over the course of a long season, but it happens, what, second, third week of April, so a lot sooner than we all expected. And please, let's get our one-of-one one producer, the great Dan Rourke, in on this conversation as well. Uh, but the Yankees placing Giancarlo Stanton on the injured list with a grade two hamstring strain, went back and counted. Giancarlo Stanton has now hit the injured list 10 times since the beginning of the 2019 season. And when he is healthy, he is arguably one of the most, or I would say the top two or three productive hitters in the lineup, especially in the postseason. I don't think you can argue, if you're a Yankee fan, the track record that Giancarlo Stanton has built for the Yankees in the postseason. But this is what we've kind of sadly come to expect. Uh, such a gifted, talented athlete uh, has a lot of soft tissue issues. What is the reality that Yankee fans should accept with Giancarlo Stanton for the remainder of his time in New York? Yeah, that you know, that's that is the big question. When you look at history, you know, they say that the the best predictor for injury is past injuries, past history. You know, it's pretty obvious, right? Now, now he's got a rap sheet. You know, John Carlos Stanton has a history of lower body ish issues now. And you're talking about a guy back in Miami who was well above average speed wise. He was a fantastic athlete, a really good outfielder. StatCast had him not as a, an elite runner, but certainly well above average, according to StatCast and feet feet per uh, per second in terms of their, their, uh, their measuring, uh, the way they measure speed. So, yeah, what happened? You know, this, this guy's a fantastic athlete. He actually had well above average speed. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, is this something that 
has become chronic. I think that's the question now. You know, once you've injured a hamstring like he has or had some lower body issues, whether the calf or a hamstring, and you keep re-injuring them over and over, then that becomes the red flag. Can he still play the outfield when he comes back? Is that exacerbating the situation? Does he need to stay DH? All of these are valid questions that I'm sure everybody's asking at this point. How did it happen? Was he feeling it leading up to that injury? Was it one specific uh, play that he got injured on? I think, you know, there's a whole host of questions that are asked now that that now become where he's in the category of, of, of having chronic lower half injuries at this point, not just soft tissue running issues because we've seen his speed dramatically as it's measured by Statcast come down since his his peak in his days in Miami playing outfield. So since coming to the Yankees in 2018 on a per 162 game basis for the team, he's averaged about 102 games going into this season. And he's someone who is so good at the plate that, well, if a guy does miss 40 or 50 games in a year, he can still provide enough value to make up for that and still be a worthwhile player. I guess it's just a matter of timing, right? If, if he misses a month and it's from the middle of April until the middle of May, and then things are pretty good after that, then you're not worried about it. But what if this happens again and it's September 1st or you're going into the playoffs? That's when it would be a real train wreck. Those are the two holdups that, catch my attention whenever you see Giancarlo Stanton landing on the injured list with a, with a soft tissue injury, because either he recovers slowly or the Yankees take extra precaution and rightfully so, because like David said, there's a track record here. It could delay a return, a natural return. And then historically Stanton seems like he takes a while to heat up once he is active and kind of gets back into that rhythm at the plate. So if you are a fan looking at the trajectory of this type of window, well, okay, grade two strain, that could be a minimum of four to six weeks. Then you maybe add on a, another two weeks or so just for precautionary reasons. And then who knows how long it could take for Stanton to really heat up. Is it going to be 50 at-bats? Is it going to be 75, 100 at-bats? This is what you keep going through with Giancarlo and it's really frustrating. You don't want to, you know, you don't place blame on them. These, these are injuries. They happen, but it's just unfortunately been a pattern here and it's tough to get over because he does so many great things when he's going right. Dan, what do you, what do you feel? Yeah. I was going to make that same point about how it seems like he deals with IL rust more than anybody. So even if you get him back, say July 15th, I almost don't expect the real Giancarlo Stan until a month later, like August 15th. I mean, I love him. I really do. Big fan of Stan. Like you said, you can't blame him for any of this. But, you know, I, I look at you look at his six-year career at the Yankees, an 839 OPS. So, of course, the production's been there. And the fact that he does show up every postseason no matter what, even if he is missing a lot of games during the regular season. But at some point, it does concern me a little bit because, well, I don't worry that the Yankees will make the playoffs the AL East isn't a sure gone thing by any means. Like I consider it's going to be a race this year, you know, especially with the blue Jays and now the Rays as well. So at some point Stanton not being in the regular season, like it could really hurt us. And it, it does concern me, especially with a grade two strain. I mean, when I first heard this news, I tried to be optimistic with it and think back to uh, 2021. I forget what the injury was, but he went in the 10 day and was back immediately. But you know, with this grade two, four to six weeks, it's tough. It really is. And it gets Hicks in the lineup. 
I guess a little bit. And then Josh Donaldson, he really has to, if you want to prove you're a big league caliber player and you're worthy of staying here, like this is the time you got to show up. He'll, he'll be playing a lot. And I think lineup wise, it's quite clear. You got to keep Volpe at the top now, especially, you know, being able to put DJ down at the five spot. And then, yeah, just the, the lower third of the lineup is, is concerning, but this kind of thing has happened before. So I'm kind of just thinking to, uh, we'll get by and see what happens, I guess. Dan brings up a great point with the time frame because you're going to have potentially a, a two month window here with without John Carlos Stanton, and you're going to need a source to come up big in the lineup. And a lot of people are looking at Aaron Hicks getting more mm-hmm. reps and Josh Donaldson, who's anticipated to come off the injured list this week, getting a shot to prove himself again, hitting in the middle of the Yankees order. So who needs to take advantage of their next opportunity more? Is it Aaron Hicks or Josh Donaldson? I think it's Aaron Hicks. I think Josh Donaldson's going to have a little more slack on the leash. He and DJ LeMayhew can split time at third. They both can protect each other, give a little insurance for injuries for both of them. You know, I'm not, you know, DJ's already had a little bit of a quad issue where he missed a few games without going on the IL. We've, we've seen Josh Donaldson ready to come off the IL. So it's, it's not as easy to say, you know what, just cut bait. Josh Donaldson, let DJ LeMayhew be your everyday third baseman. He needs a little protection at this point in his career. So both of them now, I think, will we'll split time between DH and third base. Hicks is the guy. And the, the one thing that's uncertain about the Yankees moving forward and kind of as an unfinished product is their outfield. Aaron Judge still playing center field. Ideally, you'd love to have him in right field. Oswaldo Cabrera, is he really your left fielder moving forward? I think they still view him as more the super utility guy. Does Harrison Bader get back? Does he establish himself once again as your premier center fielder defensively and swing the bat with some thump? Okay, so who's your left fielder? Is that going to be Jason Dominguez next year? Maybe if he lights up double A this year, we've seen the trend we talked about in the opener. Do the Yankees like at some point go down and grab him in July or August? If he's really dealing down there, is there somebody else? What What is the future of the Yankees outfield? We know the infield. They're stacked on the infield. You've got Oswald Peraza ready to go to plug him in any, anywhere at that point. So you, in, in Volpe's your shortstop, you know that probably at the top of the order. You know, for now, you know Rizzo's at first base. To me, it's Yankee outfield. What's that going to look like at the end of the year? That's still a little bit of a uncertainty built in there. and A little bit makeshift right now. They've got the pieces they can cover because Aaron Judge is so good that you can plug him into center field and once again kind of save your outfield. You kind of saving the Yankees by being able to play center field once again this year in a position that uh, yeah he does well, but you'd rather have him in right field long term. I think the the guy to watch more is Donaldson um, rather than Hicks, just because with Harrison Bader coming back soon, he's expected to start a rehab stint this week then you'll have your outfield of Judge back and right, Bader in center, Cabrera getting uh, the bulk of the time in left field, and then Hicks would continue to be a a part-time bit player like he's been so far this year. So I think it's going to be more on Donaldson, who is going to get time at third base, at DH. And I think with him, it's it's going to be – he's going to be in the crosshairs a little more because I think he's also going to be – uh, relied upon more batting higher in the order when he comes back i imagine that he'll be in that five six range and that'll be a, a more prominent spot in the lineup 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I would be okay with Donaldson hitting six. I think Labor's emerged as a dependable five hitter at the moment. And I think you run with it to see what you have with Labor in the immediate future. I just want to see Josh Donaldson, what he's able to do with 200 at-bats. I want to see what he can do with that sample size, and then you have a better assessment. Um, I think he has a bigger opportunity ahead of him than Aaron Hicks. So I guess Aaron Hicks is more in danger than Donaldson, so to speak. But I think the uh, the onus lies on Donaldson to produce more. And at the same time, if he if he doesn't, I think he's safe because for the reasons that you said, David, they, they can't play DJ LeMahieu every day at, at third base. They need to get him off his feet every once in a while. That's just the player has be, who he's become. It's it, That's the reality that we have in front of us. And Josh Donaldson can still play a very good third base. So I think there's more of an onus on Josh Donaldson to produce. At the same time, I think he's safer than uh, than Aaron Hicks. Yeah, no, it's no doubt. I think James is exactly right. And There's a more prominent role for, for Donaldson. He needs to be productive. They really need him. Otherwise, you got to find an answer there. I just really feel like the outfield's in flux. Oswaldo Cabrera, you know, he needs to get on base more. He's only got one walk on the year. We all love Oswaldo. Uh, is he your everyday left fielder? Is that really what we're looking at moving forward here? Or is he better off moving all over the diamond and being your, your super utility guy? Uh, maybe that, maybe it's just early in the season, but one walk's not going to cut it. He's going to have to get on base if he's going to get the, you know, a lot of those at bats in left field. Um, his on-base percentage, I think, in the 250s right now, which is that one walk. So you, you tend to look at batting average. If you're an old-school fan, you say, oh, well, he was in 260, 250. Oswaldo's had some big hits. Yeah, he has. You're not getting on base. You know, he's not walking. So uh, you know, that needs to kind of reverse itself moving forward if he's going to get the bulk of the at-bats in the left field. Oswaldo, first 14 games. This is through the Twin Series going into the Angel Series. 245 average, which is around – uh, uh, league average, but the OBP 255 slugging only 286. Aconia mentioned the one walk. He only has two extra base hits. So his OPS plus is 51. That's got to climb. Dan Rourke, do you think that we are going to see a fully healthy Yankees lineup for one game in 2023? Regular season? No, honestly, I'm going to say no. Uh, but the playoffs, I, I always hold out hope, you know, ALDS game one, that's where everything will come to form and shape out all right. So regular season, no, but just being like the glass half full guy I am, come LDS game one, I think we'll, we'll be all right with a trade deadline acquisition that we're not thinking of yet. Okay. I like that. Yeah, spice it up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, nice. You always have your your projected lineups before the season, the rotation. Every every single one sounds very rosy from work so oh, it's yep. always it's always glass half full i love a, it john a john boy team member uh that was potentially a left fielder for the yankees is now off the board right ian happ with the cubs yeah. a lot of people looked at him and said boy he'd be a perfect fit in left field for the yankees switch hitter veteran really starting to figure it out and that's that's no longer an option so that, that I, mean, I thought he would have been great mm-hmm. for the yankees but obviously he's going to be a cub 
yeah, this is the why week. just in general spring training first week of the season fans are always saying oh where, where are you going to play this guy where are you going to play that guy how are there enough at bats to go around what are they going to do in the rotation how is this guy is this guy going to be in the bullpen or is he going to start one injury happens two injuries happen rotation bullpen lineup these things always happen to every team and there's always plenty of at bats to go around then you end up in a spot where you're saying well now we need to find somebody to fill in the gaps here so a lot of the preseason uh, hand wringing about um, finding playing time for people that always sorts itself out. Yep. Always. It's the nature of baseball. Uh, David, where are you going to be this weekend for Sunday night baseball? Heading to San Francisco, the Mets and the giants should be interesting. Uh, we're not, not sure about the pitching matchup as of yet. I think we're getting potentially might get Tyler McGill with the Mets. We're not sure about the giants as of yet, but yeah, I'm heading West and catch that red eye back Monday. So I should be ready for the podcast. Bright eyed, bushy tailed. Beautiful. A couple cups of coffee. Uh, yeah. Wednesday night, Mets at Dodgers. You have Max Scherzer against Noah Syndergaard. First time that Syndergaard's facing yeah. his uh, his former team. That's one to look out for uh, later this week. Gentlemen, anything else before we uh, we close the show this week? Not at all. I think you know if you're uh, if you're a young catcher nowadays, it's, throwing's become more important. You got to throw runners out. I think that's a follow on down the road here. Yankees looking to throw out. I think their first runner this year. I don't think they've thrown anybody out yet in the stolen base category. That's some, something to pay attention to. So hit the gym, get that arm speed up to up to par here because it's going to be uh, needing an increase. Catch in and the throw future. is back. You got to throw. That's right. <laughs> that is going to do it for this episode, everybody. Thank you for joining us as always. Again, please subscribe to the YouTube channel so you do not miss a single thing of what we're streaming each and every week. Until uh, next week, for David, for James. Did I, I think I called you David, David. Uh, for David Cohn, let's go full names. David Cohn, James Smythe, our terrific producer, Dan Work. This is Justin Shackle. We'll talk to you next week on Toe in the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn, a production of John Boy Media.